We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. I'm up in the beautiful mountains of Fresno, California, near a lake. I am attending a men's retreat, and I've been there for a day or two already. It's been pretty emotionally exhausting. We've spent a lot of time processing our different experiences and trials and struggles that we are going through, and it's been a wonderful and healing experience for all of us. It's a very small men's retreat. There's only about five or six of us present, and because of that, we are also in charge of doing the cooking. Each one of us have submitted what our favorite meals are, and the groceries have been purchased, and we would prepare the meals together as part of the weekend experience. I had specifically requested that we be able to make some Thai food. I love Southeast Asian food, and I really enjoy making Thai food. We were going to make some mong egg rolls and some Thai pad thai as part of the meal. And I had specifically given instructions to the person who was purchasing the ingredients that I needed some fish sauce. Because honestly, you can't make Southeast Asian food without fish sauce. We looked through all the boxes of groceries to see if we could find the fish sauce, and it wasn't there. We also didn't have the right dipping sauce that went with the egg rolls, and I began to panic. I felt like this food wasn't going to turn out very well if we didn't have the fish sauce. We needed to have the fish sauce. It was absolutely, positively a requirement for us to have the fish sauce, and we didn't have it. And so I told some of my buddies that I was going to leave and go down to the local grocery store and buy some fish sauce, and then I'd be right back. Well, the local grocery store was about 15, 20 minutes away, and it's up in the mountains. It's not a traditional grocery store where they have a lot of different varieties of food. And so as I got to the grocery store and I looked in the Asian section, they had only one little section of an aisle for the Asian food section, and they didn't have any fish sauce. I was really stressed out. This food was not going to taste good if I didn't have the fish sauce. And so I made a decision. I was going to drive to the nearest Asian food store and get the right material so that we could make dinner that night and have it actually taste good. And so I drove for another hour and a half to get the fish sauce. Now, the counselors, the therapists who were in charge of the retreat, I had neglected to tell them that I was leaving. I had told my buddies, hey, tell them that I was, I'll be back in just a few minutes. And so they started group. They're texting me, and they're saying, where are you, Troy? And I'm saying, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm running down to the local Asian store to get some fish sauce, and I'll be right back. Well, I returned about two hours later, and I was frustrated. I was mad that it took me that long to drive down all the way down to Fresno to go to the local Asian store, buy the food, 
that I needed and then drive all the way back. I was mad that the person had not bought the fish sauce like I had specifically said. I was mad that the food wasn't going to taste good. I was mad that it wasn't going to be prepared in the way it needed to be. I was incredibly frustrated. And what was I most incredibly frustrated about? That it wasn't going to be perfect. I got back to the cabin. Everybody was already starting. They'd already been processing their stuff. And so I just kind of slipped in and sat with them and, and processed what was going on. I could tell that my therapist was a little bit frustrated with me that I had gone, I had left for three hours to go on this little errand to get a little bottle of fish sauce. I was so incredibly stressed out about that by the end of the, the time that I almost was to the point that I didn't even want to make the food anymore. But I had traveled for two and a half hours to go get the dang fish sauce. And so we were going to make these mong egg rolls and we were going to make the pad thai and it was going to be amazing. Well, as we started to get ready to prepare the food and we're chopping up vegetables and whatnot, I opened the pantry cupboard that for whatever reason we hadn't looked in before. And lo and behold, right in the corner was a little bottle of fish sauce which was exactly what I had told the person that I needed to order. She had done exactly what we had asked her to do, but for some reason, it was moved out of all of the other stuff and had been put in the cupboard, and it was hiding behind something else, and we didn't see it before. In that moment, I felt a ton of shame. I felt like an idiot for driving two and a half hours for a little bottle of fish sauce when I actually didn't need to. I felt like I had disappointed my therapist, and I was really upset that I was so adamant that this food had to be perfect. And that leads us to the question of the week. If I don't demand perfection, won't that mean that what I produce is going to be trash? Doesn't it mean that if I don't demand perfection that I'm just going to be a slacker and the quality of what I'm producing and the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve are just going to be junk. Isn't that what it means if I don't demand perfection? Well, let's take a look at that. Thomas Curran and Andrew Heal have done a meta-analysis of perfection. They were comparing what perfection does to individuals, and they were looking at a lot of different areas of perfection. They took data from 1989 up to 2016, and they compared all of this to extrapolate what perfection does. And one of the things that they have found is that there's been a significant increase in undergraduates in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in Canada, who are demanding more and more perfection. These tendencies to demand perfection have increased, have skyrocketed since the 1990s. And what they also discovered, there's a correlation between demanding perfection and experiencing things like depression, anxiety, self-harming behaviors, social anxiety, agoraphobia, uh, uh, developing obsessive compulsive disorders, developing eating disorders, having problems going to sleep, having chronic fatigue syndrome, engaging in behaviors such as hoarding, having gastric issues, having chronic headaches, and people dying earlier than, than 
on average and also suicide rates skyrocketing. So they found that there was this correlation between perfectionism and our health. And it wasn't great. It was actually worse. The more that we demanded perfection, the un more unhealthy we become. And they found specifically that having high personal standards is directly linked to suicidal ideation. So there's the challenge. The question was, if I don't demand perfection, if I don't demand high standards, isn't that going to be bad? Isn't it, the outcome going to be bad? And here's where we delineate between having high standards and not succumbing to those issues of mental health and shame and, and suicide versus those who do demand perfection. And it all, it has to do with the judge, that shadow of shame, that inner critic who continually is telling you that you're not enough and that your value is directly connected to what you produce. So in my case, the judge showed up the moment that I found out that there wasn't any fish sauce. And the judge said, oh no, Troy, this is going to be bad. Your food is going to be awful. It's going to be disgusting because you don't have the right ingredients. Now, it, I could have stopped there and, and that probably would have been true. The food would not have tasted the way it was supposed to because of this key ingredient. That's probably true. But what the judge then did is, and they're all going to think that you're an awful cook. And they're all going to think that you don't know what you're doing. And they're all going to think less of you. And they're going to be disgusted by the food. And they're not going to want to eat it. And then they're going to think badly of you. And they're all going to go hungry. And it's just going to be awful. So you are a failure because you didn't listen and buy your own bottle of fish sauce before you got here and you shouldn't have trusted other people because they aren't dependable and now this is going to be awful that is exactly what the judge was saying to me just ramming that in my head and the more that the judge talked to me and the more that I didn't process that with other people, I didn't check it out with anybody else. I just started to panic. I just started to have an anxiety attack that was saying, this is going to be awful. This is going to be bad. They are going to hate me. They're going to judge me. And that's really the difference between the shadow of shame and the judge beating me up and and also having a standard. And that, that difference is that my worth doesn't change because I maybe produced something that was less than ideal. If I got second place or fourth place in a competition, that doesn't change my worth as a human being unless I believe the judge. And if, if I was in a competition, a food competition or whatever, and I didn't get first place, the immediately, if I listen to the judge, the judge is going to say, well, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you try harder? You should have tried harder. I can't believe that you didn't get first place. You suck as a person. You are a horrible, awful, no good, very bad person. That's what the judge does. And then if I believe the judge, I immediately go into that sense of shame and inadequacy. And then I beat myself up because my product or whatever it was that I did wasn't perfect. And then I feel depressed and I feel anxious and I feel all those things that we were talking about before. Versus if I don't listen to the shadow of shame when the judge shows up and says, well, you're, you are a horrible cook. You don't even know what you're doing. Can't even cook anything right. You're a horrible human being. You suck as a person. You're no good. You're bad. You're horrible. I'm able to say, okay, whoa, wait a minute, judge. 
you need to back away for a minute. Let me let me talk to you for a minute. Number one, that's not true. I know that I have worth. It just didn't turn out the way that I wanted. I did my best. And for whatever reason, the judges chose this other person's food over mine. But it doesn't mean that I'm a horrible person. It doesn't mean that I don't have any worth. It doesn't mean that I am bad. It may mean that I need some practice. It may mean that I need to continue trying harder. That may be so. But my worth, my value as a human being has not been diminished because I didn't win first place. I think that's why a lot of sports teams, especially for kids now, give everybody a trophy because they're afraid that the message is that you are a loser because you didn't win first place. And so we're going to give you a trophy so you can feel good about yourself. And that doesn't really teach a person to learn how to become resilient to shame. What it does is it reinforces the message of sa- the messages of shame that many of us have embraced and accepted to be true that I'm only good if I am perfect. I'm only good if I reach these high, high, high standards that I've set for myself. And in fact, it's the judge that sets those standards. And the irony is that the judge continues to move the standards around. So let's say that I got first place in a cooking competition and the judge would say, well, you are so, look at you. You are so amazing. You are so fantastic. What a worthwhile human being you are. But there's another competition coming up next week, and you better work your butt off so that you can do that one well, because if you don't, you're going to fail. You're going to be a loser. And that's what that that judge does. It, it says, okay, for this moment, this nanosecond of time, you finally achieved something. But immediately, within a breath, the judge is going to say, but, and then the judge is going to move the the hurdle. He's going to raise the bar. He's going to change it. He's going to move it around. And again, and so then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, well, I got to scramble. I got to try and do everything right so I can be perfect and do what that is that the judge is asking me to do. If you, As you can imagine, that, that doesn't lead to a healthy sense of well-being. And in fact, in their analysis, they took 43 studies that were specifically about perfection and burnout, and they found that athletes employees and students gained absolutely no benefit from having these high standards compared to people who didn't have high standards. And what that means is that those who said, I want to be the best, I want to be the player of the year, I want to to win this award, I want to get to the highest rank possible, I want to climb to the top, Those individuals who had those high standards, they were compared to people who didn't have those high standards. And what they found is that there was no benefit. There was absolutely no benefit to having those high standards as as it relates to their emotional well-being. And in fact, what they found is that the people who had those high, high, high standards, they ended up burning out faster. It wasn't that they had the high standards, though, that was causing the burnout. It was that they were having these high standards accompanied with the judge, accompanied with that voice that says that because they haven't reached it yet, they aren't good enough. Because they haven't tried hard enough, they're not, they haven't reached it yet. And so because of that, that leads to this sense of burnout, this sense of discouragement, this sense of, I can't, I'm not sure I can show up to work tomorrow because I feel like I'm such a loser. And that is fueled by the judge. 
What they found in their study, though, is that the single biggest predictor of success in sports, they were studying athletes, was practice, doing the fundamentals, staying focused, showing up to practice, and showing up every day. And I, I would propose, although I don't have the data to back it up, that the single biggest predictor of success in life, whether you're an athlete or you're a mom or a dad or an employee or whatever, is practice. Continuing to practice and trying to get better and showing up every day to improve ourselves. Not so that we can convince the judge that we are worthy of love and belonging, but simply because we want to improve our skills. We want to experience joy in mastering something. And there's a lot of joy that can come with mastering something. I interviewed a guy who won the world record for pull-ups. And I'm going to talk about him in another podcast in the near future. But I, I remember talking to him. He worked really hard to become the world record pull-up guy. And it was a, his, a story, his story is amazing. But one of the things that really hit home to me as I was talking to him is he said to me, you know, I know that I'm not going to be the world record holder forever. I know that someone else is going to come along and they're going to beat my record. And that's fantastic. He was really excited about that. Why was he so excited? Because he hadn't connected his worth to whether or not he won the world record. He had set a goal that I want to win the world record for his own personal achievement, not because it would enhance his value as a human being, but simply because that's what he wanted to do. And so he practiced every day and he, he developed all the muscles, the different muscle groups and everything that he needed so that he could actually accomplish this feat of winning the world record for the number of pull-ups completed in 24 hours. But he also had this humility that recognized that my value isn't about that. It was It's just joyful. It's exciting that I achieved this, this goal and I can celebrate it and I can be happy for it and I can be proud of myself for the work that I've done, but I am, I don't, I'm not doing that to say, see judge, see, I am good enough. Here it is that I'm, I'm the best person that I can be. See, let me prove it to you. Yeah, that, that doesn't ever really work. Conversely, if you are trying to achieve perfection, if you're trying to achieve these goals and your motive is that you're trying to appease the judge or you're trying to make your mom or dad happy or you're trying to make other people happy, that is fleeting and it is unfulfilling and it really actually causes us more distress. It ends up making us feel those mutated emotions of discouragement, shame, bitterness, resentment, apathy. It doesn't bring us joy. It doesn't bring us satisfaction. And so the question was, doesn't demanding, if I don't demand perfection, am I going to be a slacker? And the answer is no. It's the outcomes that you want accompanied with why do you want that? Why do you want to improve? Is it so that you can prove to yourself that you matter? Or is it that you can prove to yourself that you can do it? And do you hear the difference between the two? I hope you can. It's not, I'm not doing it because I want to prove that I matter. I want to do it because I can prove that I can. I want to prove to myself that I can do it. And whether that's an Ironman race or a 100-mile marathon or whether it's a 5K race or whether it's 
being able to make a wedding cake or it, whether it's to be able to play a song on the ukulele or whatever that is. Am I doing that because I want to prove to everybody that I'm amazing and get the judge to shut up? Or am I doing it because it's actually something I want to accomplish? It's a, it's a goal that I've set for myself so that I can achieve it. Of course, many of us don't want to produce mediocre work. We want to be able to produce good quality work. But what's the motive? Am I producing the quality work so that my, my boss will be happy with me and he'll give me a raise? Or am I producing good quality work because I want to produce good quality work? It brings me joy and satisfaction. Am I producing good quality work because if I don't, I'm going to be hijacked by the judge who's going to beat me up and make me feel ashamed for the rest of the day? Or am I producing good quality work because it's something that brings me excitement and pleasure and, and fun? When we look at body image, for example, and, and having a hard time accepting our bodies, our judge can be incredibly brutal about our bodies. We're too fat. We're too skinny. We're we're whatever the negative messages are that the judge is saying to us. And then we have in our minds this idea of what perfection looks like. And that is such a fleeting thing because the judge moves that barometer, like I've talked about before, the judge moves that barometer around. And so you achieve a certain degree of weight. And then the judge says, well, that's not good enough. You need to lose five more. Or you you gain a certain amount of muscle mass and the judge says well that's not good enough you need five more whatever it happens to be that judge continues to move that bar all over the place leaving us discouraged and distracted and and hopeless and so we really need to challenge that judge and we need to ask ourselves why am i really doing this why do i want to do this and does it bring me joy to do this because I achieved it? Does it bring me pleasure or joy because I can see that it blesses somebody else's life? And does it bring me joy because I'm, I'm serving in a way that it lifts me up and lifts other people? Or am I doing it because I simply am trying to prove once and for all that I'm enough? And if that's the motivation, I'm telling you right now that you're going to burn out and you're going to experience those mutated emotions of depression and anxiety. You might experience PTSD. You might have significant health problems as a result. So we've talked before in the podcast about the yin and yang. It's the Eastern philosophy of yin and yang, where we accept where we are now, and we also strive to be a little bit better than we were, and having a balance between the two. And that balance comes from, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because I want to be my, my best self for me? Or am I doing it because I'm trying to prove to, to the judge and others that I'm good enough? During that same retreat, I, I was assigned to make breakfast. And so I thought it would be great to make some eggs with a little bit of garlic. I say a little bit of garlic, but it wasn't a little bit of garlic. It was a lot of garlic. And they were the most disgusting eggs that I had ever eaten in my life. I served them. I didn't know that they tasted so bad until I sat down and ate them. And then I'm like, whoa, this is really strong garlic. And they're like, yeah, it really is. And I said, whoa, I'm, I'm really sorry. And they said, it's okay. Let's make something else. And we, and we got rid of the eggs and we made something else. And, and it worked out just fine. We made more eggs that didn't have garlic in them. And it, and it turned out okay. 
that's kind of the contrast that I'm trying to explain. In that moment, I could have totally gone into shame. The judge could have said, oh my gosh, you don't even know how to make eggs. You suck as a person. They are going to starve. How horrible are you? Or we did what we did, which was everybody's like, hey, it's okay. Like, you know, it didn't work out. Let's try something else. And we made something else that was just as yummy and they moved on. That's the contrast that I'm talking about. In that moment when I felt like I needed to have that fish sauce and the world was going to end if I didn't have that dang fish sauce, I was caught up with the judge. I was trying to appease the judge and make everybody else happy. But when I was able to recognize what was going on, I was actually able to check it in and I processed it with the group later that night and talked about how me listening to the judge and trying to to meet the demands of perfection was not serving me and it actually was affecting my ability to connect with other people in a in, in, in a loving, compassionate way. And so I hope that you can watch out for the judge because he he or she or what however you imagine the judge to be in your life can really sabotage your happiness and joy. We said earlier that the thing that we can the single biggest predictor of success is practice. And that's part of the reason why I wrote the book, A Year of Self-Love, to remind you to be kind to yourself every day. It's a skill that we all need to practice. It's a skill that we can work on being kinder to ourselves and being kinder to other people. It will bring us more joy in the end, and it will open us up to greater light and connection with other people. And so I'm hoping that you can develop some resilience to the judge. You can watch out for him. And more importantly, I'm hoping you can practice self-compassion every day. I hope that you can find peace always. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to TroyLLove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.